So what we've done is we've put ourselves on the outside circle of our own lives. And the gift of menopause is that we get to take ourselves and put ourselves in the center, in the very center of our lives, who we are. And then we get to decide what we want by putting ourselves on an equal footing with the rest of the people in our lives, the rest of our obligations, responsibilities, whatever. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer women. Are we wise women? Are we mavens? Are we crones? Hell yeah. And we're also still curious, fun-loving, interesting, the list goes on. This podcast is for you. My guests are folk who have a message for our demographic. And if you want to hear a specific message, let me know and I'll find the guests. This podcast is also a conversation. We women know its value, we know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. I try and let my guests have the greater say, and usually we fit in a good laugh or two. Listen in now to today's guest. If you're a boomer, chances are you're post-menopause. Every few months, I welcome a person on podcast to talk about menopause. And there's a reason for this. I have a lot of older women in my life. And over the years, I've heard stories of sleep problems, hot flashes, weight gain, through their 70s and even into their 80s. Given the fact we're living longer these days, the more we can learn in order to keep or, or get life on track, the better. My guest today had a perfectly fine life until age 48. Then she uses the verb clobbered to explain what perimenopause did to her. That began her four-year journey through personal experience, research, and training to understand how and why menopause affects women so completely. She's going to share some of that journey with us today. Jean Andrus, welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Agnes. It's wonderful to be here and I, I often talk about perimenopause, but I love talking to older women about the echoes that keep coming through our lives as boomers through menopause, because it it's not a switch. It doesn't turn off the day you haven't had your period in a year. Wouldn't it be just so nice if we could have that last child and flick the switch? <laughs> I do often talk about perimenopause because our daughters are reaching that age or are, are that age. And uh, so it's always good to, you know, anything we can do as moms to help them. But today, I think most of it's probably going to be menopause and, and that sort of thing. So we'll we'll see where the conversation goes. Anywhere. <laughs> I talk about it all. Okay. So let's talk about your first 48 years. Uh, can you tell us about that? So my first 48 years, I was I was a computer geek. I worked in corporate America as what they call a um, road warrior for some t- 10, 12 years before I re- became a personal trainer and health coach. But my life was about IT. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was, I I programmed computers and I was really actually pretty darn good at it. Um, I also had a, I had a son who is now uh, married to a woman who will be perimenopausal shortly. (laughs) Uh, And the the father of my two incredible grandchildren. Uh, But yes, my first 48 years were pretty much about career and family and community. and doing all the things that women do during that time of our lives. That's, I often talk about it as being biologically driven. So for me, it was, it was this sort of shock when I, and I was late, by the way, I see it more typically under, with women who are 43 to 45, hitting that time of their lives where they say, oops, don't care what other people think of me anymore. I'm going to be me. And they get very confused by it. They don't realize 
very often that it's biologically driven. I, it happened to me, as I said, at 48, and then I didn't finish my own journey through no period, no period until I was 57. So, yeah, but yeah, first 48 were pretty normal. <laughs> normal is just a setting on the drive. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And then you use the verb clobbered. Boom. Tell us about how you got clobbered. So my symptoms were atypical. Well, they're not really. They're not. It's just that we don't recognize them as menopause. They weren't hot flashes and, you know, weird periods and things like that. I was angry. I was depressed. I had no libido, uh, but my periods were perfectly regular, <laughs> which actually they hadn't been for most of my life. And they just got very much regular uh, through the, through early perimenopause. And so my husband, I was, as I said, a road warrior, a corporate computer consultant. I was traveling all over the United States. I had a six-figure job and was really thriving through it. But he wasn't willing to work through the issues that came through through my perimenopause and through his unfaithfulness. I don't give him a pass for what he did, but I do understand that I wasn't the same person he married. So we, as I said, it clobbered me. I had to move from my house. I had to change. I wound up changing jobs because of a number of reasons, but um, 27 year marriage broke up and, uh, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was surprised by it. I went to my doctor for my gynecologist for a regular checkup. She asked what was going on in my life. I told her she didn't bother to say the word. She didn't say the word. And that was that I found is very typical is that we aren't told what's happening. We're not given a given a warning. We're not um, even even when they see the symptoms, our gynecologists dance around the edges of it. So I was shocked, and it wasn't until about four years later when I had gone through a number of changes in my own health. I lost 80 pounds. I decided I wasn't going to let my divorce defeat me. I became very happy. Um, I met an, met a great guy, by the way. Um, and we went through, I went through all of this and I was still having regular periods. So menopause was something that happened to old people. <laughs> and I wasn't certainly at 52. I wasn't old, right? No, I wasn't old. No, so still aren't. <laughs> I'm still not old. No, but I didn't. Nobody gave me the the picture that said, "Hey, this is what perimenopause is. This is this is what's going to happen to you. This is how you're going to feel, maybe, or maybe you'll feel <laughs> a different way. But this is these are the kinds of changes that are going to happen to you, and they're not all about your period." And I was, I was a tomboy all my life. <laughs> so it was like, I'm not going to, I don't let my period define me. So I didn't think that perimenopause was going to define me. And it absolutely 100% did, even though I didn't know that was what was happening. Everybody knows that I come with notes and I had commented in my notes that three of the biggest changes a person can make in their life is quitting a career job, uh, moving like a major move for you. It was like over a thousand miles, losing 80 pounds. And now I guess I get to add one more to it called divorce. Yeah. How 
I, I was thinking that you were in charge of all that, but it sounds like it, a lot of that happened to you. Yes. It, well, I mean, I hate to say, yes, I was a victim in all of that, but I was blindsided by it. I wasn't expecting it. And I think that that's part of what's gone on in our our world. Part of it is we don't have, you know, to use a cliche that hasn't been around that long, the red tent. So we don't communicate as women with each other. We don't have the... I, I go back and I say, I talk about the fifth grade classroom or the fourth grade classroom where they dragged us all in. I don't know if this happens in Canada. It happened in the United States when I was going through school. They dragged us all in and they talk, told us about our periods. And it was critical because as I, I tell the story in one of my books, I had a friend who was in Catholic school and she thought she was dying because she started bleeding one day and nobody had warned her. Her mother didn't, the school certainly didn't. So for, for us, it was critical that we had that information. Well, nobody gives us that information. Nobody drags us into a classroom at 35 or 38 and says, hey, guess what? This is gonna happen to you. And it's going to make major changes in who you are and how you feel and what your body is doing. And truly, the changes on menopause are, are way more symptomatic than the changes of puberty. We have some, you know, there are, are changes that go with puberty, but the symptoms of menopause are really revolutionary to our bodies. And every cell in our bodies is affected. And that's why it affects us for so long. It occurs to me as you're saying all that, that, I mean, as well as getting it out there, like the information and opening up those conversations, perhaps we almost need a, a training course for mothers or parents, but you know, if it's usually a mother, I think, to talk to their daughters about this stuff. And I guess dads probably, your parents need it for both genders, but you know, like, I don't, rem I, I don't know how I ever learned about it other than it happened to me too. I mean, my mother certainly wasn't going to go there. So, uh, yeah. Well, the, yeah. The, the joke is my mother never told me about sex. She didn't tell me about pregnancy. She didn't tell me about birth. <laughs> my mom, I, I am adopted. So in fairness to her, she never went through pregnancy or birth, but you know, I didn't get anything about menopause and it was and I was living with her. You'd think that she would say, hey, hey, kid, you know, you, you went, you're, you're not the same person you were. You're, you're grumpy. You're, bitching. you're not, it's not fun living with you, but she didn't, she didn't, she just assumed. I knew, I guess, I guess people assume that we get that we absorb this information from the air or National Geographic. Or... <laughs> <laughs> like everything the, else, it was National Geographic. Yeah. Well, that's why, I, but that's why I write books about it. That's why I have classes about it. That's why I coach about it. I, the book and the, the class that I do are informational. They're, you know, here's what to expect. When I coach, it's usually because there's other things going on that have made those symptoms really, really difficult to, to handle. And that has to do with the way we live in modern Western, the modern Western world, our diet, our stress levels, our exercise levels are all not conducive to going through menopause easily and comfortably. So we have a lot of side effects and symptoms and we, we're not supporting our body the way it needs to be supported through this to make it easy. I don't, when I work with my clients, they're not working, they're not, they're the people who don't want or can't 
take HRT. They don't want pharmaceuticals and they want a, a more natural experience of it. And I truly believe that the natural experience, if you, if you're supporting your body and aren't torn to pieces by your symptoms, if you're having a hot flash every five minutes, that's a whole different story. You know, you got to do something to get through that. But if you can get through naturally, there's a gift to, to menopause. And that is the gift of ourselves. And I was talking a little bit earlier about biology sort of forcing us into that mother helper community role. Well, and paying attention to what everybody else thinks about us. So what we've done is we've put ourselves on the outside circle of our own lives. And the gift of menopause is that we get to take ourselves and put ourselves in the center, in the very center of our lives, who we are. And then we get to decide what we want by putting ourselves on an equal footing with the rest of the people in our lives, the rest of our obligations, responsibilities, whatever. I'm going to stop you there for a second, because I think that is such an important concept, because all through those first 48 years, you were being a mom, you were being a wife, you were being an employee, perhaps you were being a daughter, you were being a friend. You were probably the last person on your list of priorities. Absolutely. Absolutely, and, 100%. And menopause does not, perimenopause does not come with this little gift-wrapped box that says, oh, guess what? Now you're at the center of your life. You have to make a point of saying, these are changes that I need to pay attention to for a myriad of reasons. Yeah. And, and now it does need to be all about me as much as possible. And it doesn't, so I say to people, you know, when you put yourself in the, in the center of your life, you don't have to kick anybody else out. You, you can, (laughs) you can, um, the 80 pounds I lost was not, was a significant loss, but the 175 pounds I lost when I kicked him out, that, that was even more significant, but I mean, I didn't throw my son out of the center of my life. I didn't throw our pets out of the center of my life, but I made choices about how I was the person that I wanted to be and I could do and, and put myself first when I wanted to. It was an amazing revelation and and it's a revelation I see played out over and over and over as women hit 43, 45, 46, 48, and they come online and they, they hit one of, one of the myriad of women's groups that I am in. And they say, you know what I woke up and realized this weekend or this morning, I realized I've been a people pleaser for 43, 45, whatever years. And I'm tired of it. I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be pleasing myself. And it's a great revelation, but it's also biologically driven. It's this retreat of estrogen that allows our brains to say, oh yeah, I'm important too. And you get to do what you want with that, with that revelation. You get to change your job. You get to change your career. You get to change your marriage. And I don't, I don't, I do not say that you have to get divorced, but you get to renegotiate that, that marriage. And if that negotiation falls apart and says, nope, this, this isn't going to work. Then you get to say, okay, I want to be, I don't want to be under this relationship where all I have to do is pay is make him happy so you get a choice it really is that's that's part of the gift is this choice of who you want to be isn't there some sort of push-pull though because I'm just thinking I mean you're talking mid-40s 
so many women in their mid-40s still have children at home, albeit teenagers. Um, And they are getting to a stage where they might be caregiving elderly parents. Yeah, we really are. We're still pulling. So it's really Mm -hmm. difficult to say, okay, like I've got this box, this box, this box, and I'm going around in a circle here for everybody who can't see me. And I'm at the center of it. And and I, I do need to make myself a priority that must be really difficult it it isn't easy it isn't easy and part of that is you know we we live in a society where our parents are living living longer and may or may not be physically capable i at the age of 48 i moved in with my mom who was 80 80 something at the time i I'm, <laughs> math is no longer yeah, right. my best subject <laughs> or maybe it's the memory I don't I don't know but she was um she was had was starting to have difficulty walking she was no longer driving as a normal practice and I looked at her and said she does not need to be 1800 miles from her children my brother wasn't capable of moving there at the time. He wouldn't wouldn't have anyway, but I was because of my work, I could live where I wanted to. So I moved in with her and I had a college, a son who was just finishing college. So 1800 miles away. And so I, I did have that same kind of pull and I still had a career at 48 that I cared about. That changed when I got into my mid-50s and I decided to change what I wanted to do and, and make a whole different world out of my life. But again, prior to this, you made your decisions based on everybody else. And now you get to put yourself in the mix once again. What, what I find is that older moms tend to raise more independent children. And that's because they need that space themselves. They need a little bit of space for themselves. So they may not be as open to 43 extracurricular activities that your child is going to get uh, to have you drive around with, which is what I was doing when I was 46. Um, I was driving my actually... 44. My son was in involved in high level ski racing and band and several, several other sports and activities and Boy Scouts. And I was constantly on the road for him. I see other parents a little bit older, not, not as willing to do that, more willing to say one activity or What's the most important to you that will make sure that happens and anything else that happens sort of happens around it or making room for a 16 year old to have their own car because that makes them more independent. Um, It's interesting to watch it and I'll be interested too, because my granddaughter, my granddaughter is three. My daughter-in-law is 41. So I can see this crash coming (laughs) coming down the road yeah and it's funny as I as I said that to you about being pulled in all these directions I I realized that when when you're looking at probably any subject out there if you move just a few degrees you get a different outlook because I have said to so many people if you want to be a caregiver if you need to be a parent if you are you know like the job is pulling you you've got to take care of yourself so that you've got the energy and the health to deal with all those demands on you and absolutely so absolutely yeah. and as we as we go through this and i i used one sentence that i use all the time Estrogen affects every cell in our body. So as we go through menopause, and this is true for all of us boomers, estrogen recedes and our bodies don't work as well. They work. You just need to put more work into them to make them work well. 
and I know this because at 48, even though estrogen was retreat, retreating for me, I decided to become an athlete for the first time in my life. And I still, at the age of 68, I've got two major endurance events, running events planned for next year. And I know that you can keep your body going well into your 70s and 80s. And, but it takes more work. It takes knowing what your body needs and giving it that. And that takes attention. And it means that you need to plan for yourself. So as you have, and I will say, I lost my mom at in 2010. So that's been significantly, you know, that was, I was still going through perimenopause at the time. And so I wasn't pulled quite so much down the road. But we do need to make time for ourselves and put ourselves in a priority position. You have a talking point that I think works around this, and I, I want to go there. You say, what can a woman do to ditch the symptoms and delight in her life again? What can you do to ditch the symptoms? The first thing is to support yourself. Um, I'm going to go step back. The first thing is to recognize that most of the changes that we see come from this change in our bodies, in our hormonal system. And it's the interactions of those hormones and the cells that make so much difference in who we are and what we are. So my book lists 105 symptoms or something like that, including tender, well, there's also 10 or 15 different ways that insomnia and fatigue hit us. But the second thing is to, to under, is to support ourselves, to take the time to eat the foods that will, will help our bodies regenerate and build up the residual hormones that we can get. Take the time to de-stress. Stress is huge in our lives these days. And the problem is cortisol, when cortisol, which is the, the stress hormone, the one that we, we developed to deal with long-term stress or medium-term stress of famine is produced in the adrenal glands. And the adrenal glands also produce all of the residual sex hormones, testosterone, progesterone, and estrogen that we get after menopause. So the more stress we're under, the less our body can produce testosterone, progesterone, and estrogen. So we need to de-stress. We need to protect our sleep. I teach sleep. I actually, you know, you think I, I was writing something on this today and it was like, you know, babies sleep, kittens sleep, dogs sleep. My dog sleeps about 21 hours a day. Why is it so hard for perimenopausal and postmenopausal women to sleep? And it's these hormones, these hormones that are changing and fighting each other and they keep us from sleeping. So we we need to protect our sleep, to treasure it, to make it a priority for ourselves to get the sleep we need. There's sort of a concept or an idea that old people don't need to sleep as much. Well, that's true of truly old people, like 90, like really old people may not need to sleep as much, but those of us who are still in menopause, in postmenopause, but still very active and very much engaged in our lives, we need that seven to eight hours sleep every night. And when you find that you're putting all that support in, and then you're treating yourself to being in the center of your life, life becomes amazing it becomes truly amazing because you don't, you don't live for other people as 
to the extent that you did before. And I don't want to say that, you know, that relationships are unimportant or love is unimportant or your kids are unimportant. And if you want to live for your grandkids, that's your choice, but it's a choice. I just recently talked to somebody and we were talking about how many, and I think it's especially women will move to be close to the grandchildren. And I live in the same city as my grandchildren, but they are so busy that it's like, yeah, I see them when I can and when they can. But like, if I was living for them, I'd be one lonely person. <laughs> yeah. I see my grandkids. I just saw them short uh, a couple weeks ago, but that was the first time since Christmas a year ago. Okay. So, well, Christmas 22. So it's about every 10 months. It's not enough. Um, I certainly would love to see them more often but i also am not going to put myself to the point where they're everything that i had i need you know everything i want want to center my life around because it's exactly what happened to you is you know your kids get my grandkids are still toddlers well one is the other is a little <laughs> older but they're still you know family focused when you when they get to be teenagers, they're their own humans. <laughs> they're their own humans. And Grammy becomes uh, a wallet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I well, before you said, you. Oh, I was going to say before you said <laughs> Grammy becomes a wallet. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that, you know, th that's basically the way it should be, that they, they do become their own people. And yes. You know, that's what it's, we wish for our children. So. <laughs> it would be nice if they came by every once in a while without, you know, without asking for the money. <laughs> but I haven't reached that stage yet, fortunately. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. He's a, teen, he's a teenager, but he hasn't. He doesn't ask for money. So, oh, that's good. <laughs> but the, it it is true that we, you know, if we're living for other people, we get real lonely when that relationship fizzles whether it's a, a marriage that becomes stale and and gone or whether it becomes a grandchild that goes off to college or children who you know are just so busy with their own careers and children and living yeah does this tie into, I only use two of your talking points, so I'm not going to run through the <laughs> list, but um, this might tie into another one that you say, why do so many women feel the need to change so much in their lives at this time? Is that the reason is because they need to refocus and put themselves at the center of the, the wagon wheel? Yes, very much so. So this is, this is all, there's a lot of brain science behind <laughs> this. The interesting piece of it is to watch how researchers don't don't get it. Um, they don't actually see this as as necessarily um, menopause related, but there are parts of our brain that are stimulated by estrogens, and some of those are centers that make us into people pleasers. Some of them are parts that make us into multitaskers, and some of them. Some of them help us remember nouns, by the way. So all of those things you see get, get shifted as estrogen depletes. Estrogen primarily, a little bit by progesterone, but a lot of this is estrogen, what the changes that estrogen have. And if you look back at who we are and why we're what we are, um, a lot of it is because as women, we were likely needing to build communities and build structures in society that supported us as we had children and were pregnant and were unable to be the hunters and the, and the ones going out from the, from the camp. And we had to work together because we were in that relationship with the other other women in our tribe. Now, 
you know, I, I see some things that say, oh no, we were, we were hunters. And I think back to when I was eight or nine months pregnant and I can't see myself chasing down a deer. Can you? <laughs> as long as it was downhill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd roll after. <laughs> but then, you know, so for, for much of our lives, we were incapable of that really super active life um that was needed in order to be the hunter and so estrogen does make it possible to do the kinds of things that women probably had to do in this tribal setting and then we get this lovely gift and by the way there are only they now have six species i think that that actually have true menopause not even elephants have a true menopause the other five are all whales i can't even say the word today (laughs) (laughs) but they are like pilot whales orcas several whale species that live in pods and humans so what do we get out of what do we get out of menopause and there's a certain amount of wisdom we get and there's a certain amount of ability to step back from the tribe a little bit and perhaps be the wise woman the crone so crone comes from the word crown uh same derivation as the word crown so it's the crowning of our womanhood um and I think that's incredibly beautiful and it's been bastardized by Western <laughs> society. And we don't see ourselves as we see ourselves as old and possibly bitchy. I, was, I still love, I still love the word crone. I'm sorry. But it's a, it's I, a wonderful it's a, word. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know your, re, your listeners can't see it, but I had, I keep a crown that, a friend of mine gave me sitting on my desk to remind me that this is the crown of our lives and our wisdom. So who are we as menopausal women? And that's women who can see ourselves as different and create a purpose for ourselves that is not all about raising children. So the Dalai Lama says the world will be saved by the Western woman. And I think he knows, but he doesn't say it by the Western menopausal woman, because she's the one who has the space in her life, in her purpose to be compassionate. I want to get your opinion. The reason I asked about that change thing is because um, certainly in the news that I'm listening to, I'm seeing quite a push amongst, I guess, a male-dominated society in many ways, uh, the workplace, that sort of thing, to really acknowledge that menopause, peri post, is a definite time in a woman's life. So instead of pushing her into a back office where nobody has to deal with her, they are saying, what can we do to support you? Mm-hmm. And and I'm thinking like it's almost like it's, if if she's accommodated really well, does that almost prevent her from saying, "I am now entering a new stage of my life. What do I want at this time?" I you know it's interesting because I've seen a lot of workplace stuff and it and you're in the UK so that's a little bit more common in the uk there's a lot of lot of push in england in in britain and so i'm sort of assuming it's it's trickling we're we're trying to break away from the crown (laughs) i I know i know (laughs) don't don't let them take this from you (laughs) and i think the truth is that women need to take that this time of their lives and decide what they want, which may mean retiring earlier. It may mean 
leaving a, a career at that midpoint where it's not what you want anymore. I think it's, it's weird because it's sort of the time of, of tenure that you're really sort of starting to step into that C-suite, et cetera. But to a large extent, you may not want it anymore. I know that's what I found out. Um, not that I was management. I was, I was total tacky geek. But for me, it was sort of like, do I want to be, and quite frankly, I was working, working as a consultant for a very large, very well-known IT organization. And my job was to go out and help companies implement their software so that they could make more money. And I felt very much like I was tired of pushing that narrative that we need to be chasing money and that we needed more humanity in our lives. So for me, would it have been different had somebody accommodated my anger? I don't know. There was a lot of anger there. <laughs> yeah. Just we've touched on men throughout our conversation here. What do men need to know to help or to assist or to accommodate the women in their lives going through menopause? So I wrote a book about this. It's called, Where is My Wife and What Have You Done With Her? Because that's what men are screaming. Women are screaming the title of my first book. I just want to be me again, because we want to feel like we're ourselves and not this alien creature. And the truth is that we're sort of an amalgam of who we were and who we become. But our men are saying, wait a minute, you're not the woman I married or the girl I married. And what men need to know is that they cannot fix this. This is not something that they can fix. Men are fixers for, to a large extent. And again, I, yes, I make a lot of generalizations because <laughs> that's, that's just the way it is. <laughs> but men like to fix things and they can't fix this. Women need people, need a person in their life to listen and not try and fix it. They need that respect that they know what's going on in their body and that things are weird and things don't feel right and things don't feel right. So feeling of the, the body feeling and the emotional feeling, they just don't feel the same. Men need to know that their wives need to be courted again. They need to rebuild the relationship. So if you're going to continue in a relationship that's been there for years, it's going to need to morph as you go through this period of your life. And a man needs to say, okay, this is not the same relationship we had. Let's, let's court one another. And I don't, I don't put it all on the men. It's not all the men's job to, to do the courting, but it needs to be a dating, a dating relationship again, where you get to know one another all over again, because you've, you've had kids uh, in, for the most part, or you've had careers that have taken you into your own sphere. And now you want to reconnect and see who each other is. See what this person that you are living with is now. And whether or not that relationship has a life of its own, whether it can be, can go forward. And that sex may not be comfortable for her. We haven't talked about that, but vaginal atrophy, vaginal dryness are a real thing, and it can be very uncomfortable. And so men need to understand that libido may be low and comfort may be low, and that may make sex a real difficult thing in, in a relationship. Does it have to be the same as it was uh, when you were younger? But most women make love with their minds and their hearts as much as they do their bodies. I had a sex ther therapist on some time ago, and she talked about exactly that of like 
it, it's it can be equally intimate it may just not be the same physically yeah so yeah now i don't want to get into a male bashing thing but menopausal women are <laughs> often described as moody angry complaining bitchy uh, but mid-age men are treated with some humor as they buy the sports car they start dating a younger woman they purchase a large motorcycle sorry i hope i didn't hit a chord there um andropause is a thing isn't it it really is so men lose testosterone at about 10 percent per decade from the time that they are in their 20s and at some point usually around 50 that catches up with them and they think they have to get back who they were when they were younger and that's where that whole stereotype comes from it's a much more gradual process for men and like i said i think it's just that they sort of wake up to oh i'm not the person i was and oh that younger man can do things i can't and so it's it's more of a interestingly enough more of a mental thing for men more of a physical thing for women and i i mean yeah my ex has a miata what can i say it's only oh, well. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're Pretty gonna leave that part isn't yeah. it? <laughs> okay I'll, I'll keep on moving here <laughs> because <laughs> we're not male bashing i promise <laughs> what haven't we talked about that you think both mid-age women and all the people around them should know i think one thing that uh, is really super important is that it doesn't it doesn't end at the one year mark so menopause is defined as the one year anniversary of the first day of your last period if you happen to record things like that, I didn't, but I kind of knew. But it takes a while. Number one, it takes a while for our bodies to adjust. Two to five years to adjust to its new hormonal level. And number two, it doesn't always just go smoothly after that. Some of the, some of the symptoms, insomnia, hot flashes, weight gain, especially can continue for a long time. They can go for your entire life. So you want to support your body for your entire life. Oh, the other one is osteoporosis. That one, that one's a you don't want to, you don't want to go there. Um, I just did a podcast episode for my own podcast yesterday about strength training and how important it is as women to continue to tell our bodies that we need our bones for as long as we possibly can. So the symptoms do continue. And so support yourself. If you need help supporting yourself or, or if it's really difficult to figure out what, what the right path is, there are people like me out here menopause coaches who are who really are focused on helping you support yourself through this transition and beyond i'm going to have you tell us all about that in two more questions if you don't mind okay i saw the five pillars of wellness on your website what are the five pillars of wellness? the five pillars of wellness nutrition so we want to be eating whole foods. We want to be supplementing where we need to. We want to limit sugar and refined carb carbs and absolutely 100% preservatives and all the, all the bad stuff that, that is in the modern American diet, including Canada. You guys have just as bad a diet <laughs> oh, as I know. Do. The second is exercise and movement. So this putting a, a, a load on your body. So car, some cardio, whether it's walking or whether you're like me and run or whether you're bicycling or swimming, whatever it is, plus strength training, making sure that your body is, is actively taking a load, flexibility, functional movements so that you are 
strong and capable of getting around because the worst thing in the world is to fall and break a hip and wind up in a wheelchair because that's basically a death sentence. The third one is sleep. We already talked about sleep a little bit. Making sure you're getting good, restful sleep. Stress management. You can't eliminate stress, especially if you're in perimenopause and you're still working and you still have older parents and younger children and a job and <laughs> It all, it all comes along. It's stress management. It's knowing how to bring yourself down to a level that it's, it's calm, eliminating stress when you can No, you can't kill your, your husband, no matter how much you want to (laughs) a little bit of male passion. (laughs) And then finally support, support supporting, getting the support you need to understand what's, what's happening to you and what to do about it. What's, what's the best nutritional plan for you? What's the best exercise plan for you? And in some of these cases, more is not better or less is not better when it comes to food. You know, don't, don't think it's just the same things that you've always done because it's different because our hormones are different and therefore our body is different. So nutrition, exercise, stress, sleep, and support. Okay. My second question might sound argumentative, and I am definitely not being that. (laughs) On your website, you say my clients do it without drugs, hormone replacement therapy, or surgery. Given that hormones help maintain bone health, sleep, muscle mass, all sorts of things, is there a place in your mind for hormone replacement therapy? Yes. Yes. There is. And I've actually, I'm, I'm actually rewriting that page of my website right now. And I'm, I'm like, how do I say that I take a natural approach and I'm there to support women who want to take a natural approach, but there are times when drugs or hormone therapy is absolutely critical to get you over a hump or to support you long-term and far be it from me to say, Oh, if you need, if you need that kind of support that no, you shouldn't have it. Um, I do believe that bioidenticals are better than uh, synthetics. And there's a corollary to that that says that hormone birth control, hormonal birth control, which is highly synthetic, is probably, we need to be thinking about that. We need to be thinking about that at, at younger ages, but that's a, that's a topic for a whole different show. But yes, if, if hormones are what's going to get you through, do it. And I, I work with women who are in all kinds of different, different combinations of hormone therapy, um, drugs, in some cases, pharmaceuticals for uh, mood disorders. They've been anxious or they've been depressed for a long time. We work with food to lessen their dependence on those drugs, especially SSRIs and, and some other ones that are out there. But yes, what you need to get through is what you need to get through because this can be a really difficult time. And so for me, the idea is start early. If, if you as a mom, you know, most of us boomers are now um, moms of women coming up on perimenopause as opposed to being in perimenopause ourselves. If you're seeing your, your daughter or your, daughter-in-law or your cousin's kid or whoever struggling with this change, get them started with support early. Because if they're taking care of themselves in their early 40s, then in their later 40s, when the changes really start going and really start happening, they're going to be in a better place to do it, to take care of themselves. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of um, HRT specialists on 
Yeah. And as you say, it is all, uh, the bioidenticals, absolutely. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I just was wondering, because when I saw that, I went, hmm, I wonder, I'll just, and, I'll put and the cat I've amongst t- the pigeons. <laughs> I've talked to, I've talked to, I, I have not had HRT specialists on my show deliberately because they say, oh, every woman needs to be on hormones from the age of 43 to the age of 57. And I'm like, no. Nah. You're not going to say that to, to my women because, and I'm very protective <laughs> to, because I don't think it's necessary for all women. And I think in some ways that hormone replacement gets in the way of this change and it can, it can leave you mixed up about it for many, many years, if that makes sense. You know? Yeah. It, I mean, the one it's, person I had that was really advanced, shall we say, in his HRT knowledge said, you really need to find a doctor who knows exactly what they are doing, not a doctor who's just going to say, oh, you want HRT? Sure. You know, here, we'll throw the whole the whole gamut at you. My, my gynecologist, when I was 51, uh, said, oh, come in if anything's bothering you. We have a pill for that. Thank you. <laughs> I don't, you know, for me, I was in the middle of, okay, so yes, I grew up a hippie. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, well, of course. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I tried to eat more naturally. I wasn't really great at it. And I did do, like I said, I've told many people I'm sugar addicted. So it's, it's tough. But I tried to go through my life doing as little pharmaceutical invention intervention as I could. And I decided early on that hormonal birth control was suppressing my system to a degree I didn't like. So I went off of it and used a different method of, of birth control. And so when I came to this point, it was how naturally can I do this and how how far do I want to go? And I actually tried hormones for a little while for the vaginal atrophy, which was topical and it was local as opposed to systemic. But yeah, if you need to, you need to. And if it's going to keep your sex life going, use the topical, use the local, or there are other, there are other alternatives for that now it's it's interesting to watch the medical side of this grow there's now an there's a new uh drug out in the last couple of months for hot flashes and it's non-hormonal and it's not an antidepressant so i'm thinking hmm I'd love to know, talk to somebody who's tried this. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's when things get the press. Like, don't just jump on it as the be all and end all is it's like, oh, this might be something I should be looking into. And then you yeah. make a decision after that. Yeah. Right. So. Okay. Where do we find you on the World Wide Web? Menopause.guru. So the guru... Uh, extension is there for the world wide web and i am the menopause guru so you can go out and find me there you can find me as menopause guru on facebook you can also find my podcast on anywhere you find your podcasts it's called menopause matters and you can tell it's mine as opposed to the two or three others by the same name, because I have a blue teal streak in my hair. <laughs> so when you see the picture, that's. Uh, <laughs> that's great. You just, I was going to say, you just wheeled off my next four questions. Um, <laughs> but, but I do also want you to tell me you've written five books. Tell us about those. You've so you can two find. Of them. You can find my books on menopausebooks.com. Uh, it's a, it has links to wherever my books are currently. I'm moving some of them away from Amazon and to more local providers so that I can keep in touch with the people who find my books useful. 
I wrote, I just want to be me again. It's sort of my primer. I call it a guide to surviving, and uh, thriving through menopause. I wrote a book about hot flashes called Chill Out, one about weight loss called Lighten Up, one about the brain symptoms that we get called Think Again, and then my one for men called Where's My Wife and What Have You Done With Her, which I always recommend. If you were a woman, read it first, get, buy the paperback, tear the parts out that you want him to read and give those to him <laughs> because you may or may not have everything, have all of those issues with your, with your man. Well, and I'm looking at my other monitor here. 23rd of November is the day that people are listening to this. So sounds Happy Thanksgiving. Like... No, well, no, in, I mean, people have got to order it. Well, but they've got also got to order it and get it in in time for Christmas presents. Let's put <laughs> some of those some of those books under the tree. So for whether Absolutely. it's your adult daughters or your partner or or whomever, so. right? And, and I certainly do recommend. I wrote my book because when I was going through it, the book that everybody read was called "The Wisdom of Menopause" by Christiane Northrup. North, which is still an excellent book on this, on the topic, but it is about an inch and a half thick in eight point font. And by the time you get finished reading it, you're in the nursing home because <laughs> it's really dense. So I wrote mine to be a little more conversational, but to give women the information they need to understand what's happening in their bodies, why all the changes that happen and at least an idea of how they can support their bodies without necessarily going the drug route or the HRT route. And certainly not this. Fortunately, they don't do this anymore, but it used to be that doctors would just simply recommend that you had everything taken out. You don't need it anymore. Uh, no. <laughs> Okay, before we close, can I ask you a personal question? Sure. Part of your bio says that you ride in Mardi Gras parades. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, tell us. <laughs> so uh, I actually am part of three Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras crews. It, each one is a little different. The first is a 12th night marching club. I call us a drinking club with a marching problem because we, we march out in here in my little town north of New Orleans in costume, in mask. And uh, we wander, we basically do a pub crawl around the town and it's, it's a great crew. It's a male crew with a female auxiliary my husband is part of it as well then the saturday before the high saturday of mardi gras i ride in a regular parade with floats and throws and ba marching bands and dance groups called uh the mystic order of the phoenix and then the friday before mardi gras i'm part of a bustier group in which we take corsets and we completely cover them in beads and glitter and feathers and anything else we figure <laughs> would like to put on them. And then we make, we continue that into a full costume and we all march down the streets of uh, the French Quarter and there are about 50 groups out there. It's fabulous <laughs> and way more fun than, than uh, almost anything I can think of doing. Oh, that's great. I was reading part of your bio and I'm going like, okay, we need to know more about the inquiring <laughs> minds need to know. <laughs> so Mardi Gras is something I got when I moved here, along with Jazz Fest and the Saints. <laughs> so it's been it's been a real revelation to me. And it's it's interesting because when for for many years of its history, Mardi Gras was a male dominated thing. And the new crews are almost all either couples or women crews. And uh, that's been really, really great because the women seem to love it. And we, 
we create creations to give to people to throw from our floats. And it's just phenomenal. <laughs> That's great. Thank you for that. Okay. Your website link is in the show notes and all of the links are going to be on your page at our website. Terrific. Listeners, okay. listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening, or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Or what question did I not ask, Joan? Ask <laughs> it in the comments and I'll get you an answer. Great. As always, leave stars and reviews where you can. They help us grow. And share this episode. Menopause is a fact of life. Female issues are still too often spoken about behind one's hand. The more people we can get to having open conversations about bodies and their functions, the better. Sharing this episode with some friends could well open a door to those honest conversations. Joan, can I thank you. Ask, yes, can absolutely. I add just one thing? One of the one of the symptoms of menopause or reactions to menopause that I put in this this edition of my book and I was really hesitant to do it is suicidal ideation menopause can literally threaten your life to to suicide and so sharing this episode sharing information about menopause sharing that there are people out here who will talk with you about it may save someone's life. And I don't say that lightly. Yeah. And, and I'll add to that, that sharing important conversations, you, you don't know who might be on the receiving end that has said nothing. And yes, you might be saving someone's life. So thank you for adding that really important. Thank you for being my guest today and Thank being so open about me. your yeah, being so open about your own experiences, but also sharing so much great info or great information. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you.